Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. This podcast is on intrafamilial abuse and how to identify early indicators. Wendy Tharagood, consultant nurse and safeguarding, is in discussion with our own GP and Wessex LMC's medical director, Claire Sieber. So Wendy, do you have any advice for me about how I might be able to spot sexual abuse within a family? Yeah, that's a really interesting um, sort of thing to debate, really, because it is so hard. Because children themselves that are suffering from interfamilial sexual abuse, if it's happened from a really early age, they don't see it as sexual abuse. So so my work with families post-event or the children post-event, they will say that they didn't even recognise, um, say like the NSPCC campaign, the PANTS um, campaign, because they don't see it as abuse. The hard thing with inter- interfamilial sexual abuse is the way they are introduced to it. It's normally done quite secretively. So the majority of cases, it will be a perpetrator. And it's important to actually understand that the perpetrator could be male or female. Mm. So I would honestly say I've seen sort of for every five male perpetrators, there will be one woman that is an actual perpetrator, the mother of the children. And again, that, as I say, it's male or female. But it's something that's induced, in, introduced as play. Um, and then the play becomes quite sexualized, um, and even from an early age, a child can get gratification from that sort of play. Okay. Um, so it's it's how they're being interfered with, how it's being introduced, and as I say, it doesn't. It takes time to actually perhaps be having full blown sex with these children, um, and by then they might if they're sort of depending on their age whether they're sort of nine or they start thinking this isn't right because Mm -hmm. of conversations they're actually having at school Mm -hmm. a gp may notice from an early age it's when if they have sore genitals um, if they have low level infection um, and it also depends who's bringing them because sometimes we've had the perpetrators bringing them and giving different excuses in relation to why they might have a UTI or why they might be sore and infected down there. So that would be an early sign um, that you could possibly pick up on. Um, but even if you were to ask the child, um, depending on the age, they probably wouldn't see it as sexual abuse. So it is really hard. So it's looking at the physical signs. Um, And equally, sometimes the perpetrator's in the room. So it depends on actually um, what, you know, depends on what you're actually doing. If you're actually examining the child, um, sometimes I would suggest that sometimes if you have a niggling feeling that something's going on about actually making a referral to a paediatrician, especially if you were seeing repeated urine infections or sore genitals, mm-hmm. um, that would be a trigger sign for me. And remember, sadly, interfamilial sexual abuse can be um, anally as well as... Um, from the front type of thing sore bottoms so So to actually sort of think you know what's going on and of course you can have the disturbance of constipation Mm -hmm. or loose stools so there will be some medical signs that you can equally gp sometimes forget that there could be another reason for why this is actually happening um in relation to perhaps constipation or even as i say loose stools or being very sore so it's about being aware Uh, as i say the children themselves as they get older they you start seeing other signs but it's really sort of giving the children if you can get chance to talk to them on their own is to actually say is something happening to you um you know are you 
you're feeling uncomfortable about something is somebody actually harming or doing something that you're not comfortable mm-hmm. with and that they may say well daddy does this or mummy mm-hmm. does that um, and as I say then it's not for you to investigate to look any further it's to actually make a multi-agency referral mm-hmm. but it's really hard for the children to disclose and as I say the children feel part of it it's normalised and you can see intergenerational where the children start abusing other siblings as well yeah, and it's it's it just goes on in that cycle mm-hmm. particularly hard and I think it's something that people don't think about is in relation to the Asian community because if you think of the incident of the girls Rotherham girls that were being trafficked and used as sex slaves um, we have identified that there is a whole cohort where these girls are actually being abused within their homes and again that can be the mothers and fathers um, that know this is actually happening but actually again very little um, disclosures in relation to sexual abuse because of the shame and the dishonour it can actually bring on to the families, um, which is really sad. So we have to actually be mindful again um, when we're actually um, seeing these patients. And I believe you've had some experience mm. of well, strange requests. It is quite common for uh, young girls to be brought in with sore genitals. It's not an uncommon finding. Um, but I, I guess what I need to think about doing is making sure I allow the child to talk openly and try to ask the child as many questions directly as I can and also observe the relationship yeah. between the child and whoever has brought the child in and whether there's any um, incompatibility between the stories. Perhaps I could think about asking a child what makes it hurt and yes. if they were to say touch maybe i should be saying what sort what touch who touch you know who yeah. who touching it's oh, it's such a difficult yeah. subject isn't it and that could be quite hard with actually having a parent course, in the room yeah. couldn't it mm-hmm. um and of course what you don't want to do is lead the child no. because this will be a criminal investigation and um so it's about actually you know if he says touch I would possibly stop there. Oh, okay. I would possibly stop there and say, I think we're going to have to get a paediatrician who's a specialist to actually look. And, of course, they can do sort of the deeper investigation in relation to um, using the colposcopes to actually see if there is any trauma signs. Um, just to be mindful of that some children that have been sexually abused, you don't always see the scarring that you would like to see that could actually indicate sexual abuse. But it will be the whole um, holistic assessment they would do around it. Okay. But um, I think getting hints of things that are happening, I think what you don't want to do is lead that conversation. Um, but what you do want to record is everything as the child says it. Yes. So literally in their own language, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's not always pleasant, but that actually makes the basis for the investigation because um, there have been cases where... Um, we've added, made the, the conversation more adult mm. in relation to how we've written something down and actually that wasn't what the child said. Um, and as I say, this would lead to a criminal investigation, but very underreported, um, very, you know, especially within the Asian community, as I say, something that until we get them older and the Truth Project has actually helped with the historic sexual abuse um, come forward to actually identify that actually this has been a generational thing that has gone on for, mm-hmm. for many years and it can, you know, it's, it's within their culture. But it's a culture that we can't accept within the UK mm-hmm. um, because obviously the impact, the emotional impact of sexual abuse um, is lifelong. And the, the saddest confession that I heard was from a 92-year-old lady that had lived with um, sexual abuse 
until she actually escaped and got married. Um, but, you know, she never went on to have children because of the abuse that she'd suffered, um, because of how that had mentally affected her. So it, it leaves a lifelong effect. I mean, it's degrading. If you were to ask anyone about their last sexual experience, it's private, isn't it? Yes. Um, but it's actually teasing that out. And once they actually realise um, that they are in a real abusive situation and there is a different life, needs a lot of work and support. So I think what I'm hearing is that if I was to see a child with sore genitals, sore bottom, and I was happy from the consultation that I hadn't picked up on anything that was ringing alarm bells for me, but that this was a recurrent issue that the child had been presenting with, it's probably still something that we ought to be referring down a general paediatric route. Yeah. But perhaps if we if we pick up on something that does concern us, we should be directing that more towards the safeguarding yeah. yes. uh, side. Yeah. yeah, because we can still, you know, if we're building the picture, it doesn't have to be an emergency um, sexual abuse medical. It's because you've got a medical concern and actually let them look. And of course, one of the most common causes is something like genital warts on a child, yeah. um, because that causes... Um, GPs quite a lot of concern in relation to that but say let the paediatricians have that wider um, review and if it doesn't go down that path then all well and good mm. um, but obviously if you are referring and then there is that immediate concern then you're protecting that child. So Wendy I suppose this discussion links in a little bit to forced marriage as well. Yeah, within the Asian community, if a child's been um, sexually abused, there was work that I did with one girl where the sexual abuse had been chronic from an early age. The mother was aware the abuse was happening um, and they had arranged a forced marriage. She was, um, I think, 14 and they were bringing someone over from India who was much older. Um, and really it's to mask the abuse that had actually gone on because in that way she would be married off and there would be no question of her virginity. So it's, it's just another element of the forced marriage. And again, the honour and within the community, as I say, you can have very happy arranged marriages, yeah. um, but equally there can be that element. And it's about getting the education and awareness within the practice and how you would actually get that information to that community. Yeah. Um, and it's about just having the right leaflets, the right awareness, and again, the opportunity to actually... So if you saw someone... I mean, there's a lot of work that goes on within schools to actually be alerted if there is an arranged marriage. Um, and again, it's illegal within our country. So again, we're actually working within our, our laws and regulations. Um, but it's about how we reach out to them and support them and make sure that we've got the right systems in place. And a child will disclose um, normally only once fearful because they're really fearing for their life and as I say the perpetrators aren't always just the males it can be the females and brothers within the the whole family because they see that they're just going to be being really disrespectful to their families mm -hmm. if they don't actually go through with the marriage at the will of the father. So I don't think I'd appreciated that forced marriage is something that perpetrators of familial sexual abuse will do to hide the sexual abuse yeah. so I need to be mindful of that if I uh, find myself coming across a patient who's in a forced marriage that this is somebody who may have also been sexually abused by other people yeah yeah or they're as I say within their own family mm -hmm. yeah and just the balance to that there will be arranged marriages that are 
quite willing from both partners but it's it's an area that we haven't really investigated and we don't have enough stats on and as I say the main information is actually coming up through the truth project and the disclosures that we're actually hearing um, that's actually giving us the evidence but it's an area that within the UK we're not really addressing as we should be so we can just keep the our minds open to the fact that this could possibly be a risk. So what's the Truth Project? Truth Project is the historic project that's um, looking at um, historic sexual abuse and um, as I say mainly they just offer the opportunity for people to um, have a consultation. It's arranged um, very privately, very discreetly and as I say they're starting to actually be able to give you a lot of evidence back and that's actually feeding into how we should be working now. Um, there is information available on relation to the Truth Project. Okay, well, thank you. I'll certainly signpost patients to that now that I'm aware of it. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. <laughs>